0: Hello, welcome to Stages. I'm your host, Peter Ayers, and I wanted to start this episode by sharing some exciting information. The Stages podcast will record live in Sydney for the very first time as part of the Ideas program at the 2022 Vivid Festival. Engaging and informative, the show is a vital chronicle of oral histories from Australia's rich arts heritage. The podcast has featured 285 conversations thus far with creative artists and performers from a range of performing arts disciplines. This three-series event at Vivid will celebrate the contribution of three key elements vital to the art of telling stories. On Thursday, June 2nd, my guest will be producer Carmen Pavlovich. Thursday, June 9th, we welcome costume designers Jennifer Irwin and Julie Lynch, And the series is completed on Thursday, June 16th, when our guest is the Artistic Director of the Griffin Theatre Company, Declan Green. Tickets are free, and to register, just visit the Vivid website and search for Stages Live. There are going to be three fantastic conversations, and it'll be great to have you in the audience, watching Stages on stage. We look forward to your company. And now, here's today's episode.
1: Ego in check, me (laughs) Yeah, it's a date (laughs) It's a date
0: Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and welcome to a very special episode of The Stages Podcast An episode in which we celebrate dance visionary and supreme practitioner, Meryl Tankard Internationally acclaimed for the emotional punch packed into her inventive choreography Meryl is one of Australia's finest contemporary artists Born in Darwin, her family moved frequently across the region due to her father's Air Force career. She spent her early years in Penang, Melbourne and Newcastle, acquiring a taste for change and adventure which was to pattern her entire career. This career is vast, visceral, dynamic and innovative. There are not enough superlatives for her visionary work. I was thrilled to spend a couple of hours with the extraordinary Meryl Tankard. She is an artist of tremendous warmth who possesses powerful appreciation of the possibilities of the theatre and making art. Well, Meryl Tankard, I'm, uh, I said to you as I poured our cups of tea, I'm a bit in awe of sitting opposite you at the moment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what should I say to that? I well, don't think you should be. <laughs> you, you,
0: should, you should just not. No, I, look, over the last couple of months of, of researching your work, um, it's vast, it's extraordinary, it's unique, it's it's authentic. It's like nothing I've ever seen. Really? Yeah. <laughs> don't be shy. <laughs> Did you set out as a theatre maker to be as different as you possibly could to... What dance was perceived to be? Um,
1: I don't know. I never wanted to do what anyone else was doing, you know. I always thought it was my duty to be original. I mean, if you're an artist, you have to do something you haven't seen before or you... So I find it quite strange now that kids are brought up with, you know, looking on the internet and being influenced by other artists. So I you know, actually wanted to make things I hadn't seen before,
0: you know. Yeah, kids today are so informed. They Mm. have their fingertips access to so much. Yeah, Um, so different. Whereas growing up, um, you had to go and find it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Whether
0: that be a subscription to a magazine or...
1: Absolutely, or order a book or Mm. go into the library. I remember when I created Two Feet, like there was one book on that Russian ballerina, one book, and that's all there is now. You can go online and you've got a whole life, you know. But when I created the work, I had one very small book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing.
0: Martha Graham once said that great dancers are not great because of their technique,
1: Mm. but
0: they're great because of their passion.
1: Mm. I think that's a Mm, given. That's true, Yeah,
0: yeah. What else should a great dancer possess?
1: Uh... I think um, humility like I do think being humble or um, being able to show your vulnerability is important and I think that's what you know when I left the Australian Ballet and I discovered Pinabouche just by accident and then joined the company um, I think that what struck me was people were real, you know they were human, they were real, they were fragile, they were strong, but they could be fragile, they were vulnerable. and she she almost exploited that vulnerability. you know we would sit there for months and months and watch improvisations, you know and Often it was what the dancer did before they came to the centre of the stage or what they did after that was more interesting than what they actually did in the centre. Right. So, um, you know, I learnt a lot from watching. Like She never explained, and never guided you or helped you or explained why she was doing anything, but you just had to watch.
0: And it sounds like her approach too was not just about the the aesthetic, the look of the dancer and, and, and mm. the, the shape of the dance but the psychology
1: yeah. of, yeah. of it the was, dancers
0: and, why and the characters dancing.
1: Yeah, why, why are you dancing, why are we moving you know, that was and that's what uh, you know stayed with me there's some um, reason to move like you have to have a reason to move and uh, you know it's not important that you have all these steps and you do a trio or a duet or a You know, it's why we're doing them or What motivates you to do it? That's why sometimes I feel like I was in the wrong field, you know. I should have been, I don't know, in drama or something else because often you will find dancers when I go to companies, like I go to a ballet company, and they actually don't want to feel. They just want to be told, do that step, you know, which I just can't worked like that you know as a dancer I couldn't once you've worked in that other way you can't go back to being just no. a robot you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but some people like it you know
0: <laughs> as a kid did you have dreams of being an actor at any point
1: no like people don't I, I think I would have much preferred to be an actor than a dancer actually but Is easier was on no the body op- <laughs> um, obviously, yeah. But um, there was no opportunity. Like, I was growing up in Ringwood and there were there was the little hall down the road and they there was a ballet class and there was a basket weaving class. You know, there were no design schools or acting schools or anything like that. Like, if you wanted to do something creative, you went to ballet, you know. And I don't know. Mum said I was always... Jumping around and dancing around all the time, that the neighbours said, You've got to send her to ballet, you know, and that was really the only thing. And it was a sort of, um, I think it was a ticket out, you know, like um, we, I was born in Darwin, then we moved to Melbourne, where I started dancing, then my father was posted, he was in the Air Force, he was posted to Malaysia so i spent nearly three years in penang i had a very strict chinese ballet teacher there and then came back to newcastle and we were living in roman terrace and i always think it must have been such a shock for my mother you know to have this exotic you know two and a half years on penang island with a gardener and a cleaner and festivals you know there was buddhist festivals hindu festivals um i would go down to the shops and sit with these indian guys and play games to win lollies and um and then we come back to raymond terrace and i think the ballet was something you know that i could um you know be somebody else and have this creative life.
0: And provided a continuity for you also. Yeah, I guess. Yeah,
1: definitely, definitely. Visiting it. It was of like those. a little club having yeah. But I remember, you know, when I was at high school and all the girls would be going out to on the weekends and I would be going to ballet class, you know, spending all Saturday doing ballet and um couple of weekends I'd say oh look maybe I should go out with them you know and I did love the dancing because it was you know the early 70s and we'd dance all night but it was so boring it was like is that all they do they just go and drink and talk and I just was boring you know and I thought oh what a waste of a weekend you know like it was okay getting dressed up and dancing but then Nothing really happened. (laughs) So it was just, I don't know, more interesting, more challenging, more, you know.
0: Travelling around the world as you did would require a lot of constant adaptation to new schools, new neighbourhoods, new friends. Yeah. Did you find that easy?
1: Yeah. Like, I just got used to it. But I realise, you know, now I'm older, I don't have all these old school friends like other people do you yeah. know and there's been one one woman who's kept in well made contact again after many many years and I realise that I don't have and I see them on Facebook and they're all together and they're all still communicating going out with each other and I don't have that at all so I learnt to switch off you know you you have a good friend but you move on and your life changes, you know. And then you have to make other friends, you know. They're so constantly adapting, but that I just got used to that. I like that, you
0: know. Has that skill, ability, stood you in good stead through your career? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, definitely, Which has required a lot of yes, yes. touring and yeah, travelling true, it's true, Yeah. new places.
1: Yeah, yeah. But it's always a challenge, you know, and it's exciting. It's another hit of oh, you know, how am I going to deal with that situation? And you know, it's um, invigorating, you know, yeah. that change. And that's why I can never understand why people are adverse to change. You know, because you just learn so much and you meet so many people. And um, you
0: know. well, it's, well, it's it's it can be quite um, quite scary that that fear of yeah. the unknown. Yes. Yes. But-
1: but exciting. Nine times
0: out of ten, it works out okay. Absolutely, yeah.
1: absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there'll always be somewhere where you can find, you know.
0: And we need to, to challenge ourselves and stimulate ourselves absolutely. too. There's, there's nothing I enjoy more than travelling and going to a place where I don't speak the language. Yes,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: And it's sink or swim.
1: Yes, yes. And
0: most definitely all the time it's swim.
1: Yeah, and yeah. it's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree. <laughs>
0: do you remember that your first uh, first ballet class
1: i do remember i in ringwood yeah i i have this memory of bruce morrow who then years later when i went to the australian ballet school he was teaching there and he and his wife were both ballet teachers they had the bruce morrow ringwood ballet school and um he used to call me Merly, and I just always, I hated that. I can remember Bruce always calling me Merly. Because he was
0: dyslexic, or that was a... I don't he know thought why, nice, and I nice really now.
1: hated it, but I always remember my first costume, and we were Mother Nature's children, and we had these brownie gold costumes with plastic autumn flowers on a diagonal, and... Bruce and Bernice's son, Carl, was the black sheep. And I always remember that. They were all little white sheep and he was the black sheep. And he jumped. His jumps were so high. But I do remember that. But, you know, I've forgotten. I I do delete things very quickly in my (laughs) life. Like, I realise that. I leave and they're gone, you
0: know. But we have that extraordinary capacity in our brain to... When's the last time you spoke about that first ballet class? Oh. You've pulled it up never, from, never, from but some it's file. something,
1: yes, <laughs> I know. It is like an old file, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And I go, why do I remember that? Were you a good student at school? Yeah, I was a goody-goody. I, you know, used to... My regis looks at my report cards and he goes mad <laughs> because, you know... I was... Well, it was, again, if you do something, you have to do it 100%. You know, why bother doing um so when I I had to leave school I had to make a decision to leave school early you know at the end of um what is it fourth year
0: year 10 yeah and
1: um I they made me ducks of the school then and the nuns gave me three books and there was some they were furious that I left and they gave me a um a book of prayers uh an English oh no sorry the English literature a ballet book and then a book of prayers that was going to help me decide which one I do (laughs) (laughs) but I planned that I do all these exams in one year instead of taking I don't know I was supposed to take six years actually but I did them in well two years and um if I pass them all I'd go on to ballet and if I didn't I could still go back to school you know, but then I'd pass them all and now I've gotten to the Australian Ballet School but...
0: If you'd gone back to the school, what do you think your career aspirations would have been?
1: School um I don't know, I mean I would have loved to have done design or, or something creative but you know, anthropology and things like that are also really interesting but um I think it would have been something creative, like designing or...
0: And investigative, which is what you do now mm, in, in creating your mm, work. Mm, You've mm. got to um, inform yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah. I always felt, I always said, I have to use my body now and I can use my brain later. And I feel like I never came back and used my brain. But then, you know, creating a work is really hard. And, and I've seen the girl... I saw a nun, one of the nuns, you know, about... Maybe it was twenty years ago, and and she apologised and she said, oh, "I'm so sorry because what you did was the right thing, and we should have encouraged you." And um, so that was quite nice to hear. That was my Latin and science teacher, and she, um, yeah, she said we shouldn't have treated you like that. We should have encouraged you.
0: Encouraged the arts.
1: Yeah, yeah. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah fascinating. Yeah.
0: I imagine your favourite subjects at school would have been visual arts. And
1: we didn't have the music. in, like in Mayfield. Right. Poor school. No. You know, hardly any art. Hardly anything creative.
0: Music education.
1: Yes, but but you know, Minimal nothing was that very challenging or stimulating. Inten- yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. But I think that was just probably the school and and those times. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No, so. I think if there'd been some great art teachers, or you know, they might have gone down there.
0: So, Aussie Ballet School. Um, you were being encouraged by your teachers at the time. Were, were you still with Bernice? And
1: no, but uh, but Bruce was what? actually teaching there. He right. was teaching Pardido, de and he was lovely. Yeah. Such a lovely teacher, beautiful man.
0: Was he, was he still calling you big... Merley at the no, school? I think he got the name <laughs> right by then.
1: Yeah lovely man though lovely teacher yeah but you know we were told that the teaching was going to have art history drama all these other subjects but when we got there nobody took those subjects seriously like the kids would all sleep in the art class like we'd go to the national gallery and everyone would be asleep and and I loved the drama. We had Bruce Pollock, who was our drama teacher. Oh, wow,
0: great. Lovely yeah. Bruce. Yeah. yeah.
1: I loved his classes, loved them. But they, you know, in the end, we get less and less and less and less. And it wasn't taken seriously, really, those classes, which was a shame. Yeah.
0: But nice to see they're all on the syllabus. And hopefully, yeah. I'm sure they have. I think developed. now it's yeah.
1: it's changed a lot.
0: So is um, Dame Margaret Scott principal at this time?
1: She died. Yeah, Dame Margaret was there. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And what was she like as a as a head of school?
1: Um, yeah, she was okay. Quite um, a little bit cold, right. you know. Conservative, quite conservative. Yeah, I had. Um, I'll tell you a story and why not. So we had two years and in our holidays we used to go and work for the Australian Ballet. We were students but we... You were extras. Extras, yeah. yeah. And then they said, why don't you just learn some of the roles because we often have dancers sick, you know. So Cathy Bennetts was great. She would take me in the ballet, in the ballet room and she would um, teach me other people's parts, you know. And one day I was on the tram and I saw my mother coming out and my mother said, get off the tram, get off, you know, she stopped the tram. She said, you've got to go to the Princess Theatre, someone's sick and you have to do the dream. I said, I didn't even learn it. And she said, you have to go now, you have to go now. So I jumped on the tram, went to the Princess Theatre, got dressed. They're trying to teach me the steps. And the gauze was down. We were like the fairies, Mendelssohn, and um, I just had to, you know, follow everybody else. And it was so exciting. And then the ballet said, "Well, look, you know, we need you to fill in for this person, this seat, blah blah blah." And then they kept giving me more work, but I still had to do the nine to six ballet classes with the school, and. I don't know how it worked, but I ended up going to Adelaide and performing with them and going somewhere else. I know it was in... Because the festival the theatre was new and we were there and I was still in the ballet school, right? So when I came back, it was before the end of the year and the Australian Ballet said, we'd like her to join that company. Maggie wouldn't let me go. Oh, no. She wouldn't let me go she said no she has to finish her schooling she has to pass her exam and and she has to go in and be you go through this process it's terrible like you do the concert they evaluate you and then you're called in alphabetical order one by one to the office to see if you got in so but I said but they want me you know They wanted me now. And you
0: are serving an apprenticeship of sorts, aren't you?
1: I had thought so. So I am working like crazy. I'm doing the ballet at night. I'm doing the school in the day. I got glandular fever. I just collapsed on the bar. And our concert's coming up, all our exams to see if you're good enough to go into the Australian Ballet. So I've been so overworked. I was in that bed. I had um, a naturopath told me, you know, they said you'll have that, you know, for six months or something. Mm. Um, I was doing my Vaganava exercises in the bed, you know, I was so tired, but I was still doing them, and I was reading this Vaganava book. And um, I was eating all this health food and I was going on a diet of lemon juice and on the second day I could only have pears. Anyway, the glandular fever went quite quickly. I think I was six weeks or four weeks. And I thought how do I get back in training? The concert was like in two weeks' time. Um, I just got back in there and I just worked like crazy. And I did do the exam and I did do the concert but I didn't get this big role that I would have got if I hadn't been sick anyway then I had to go through the whole process of sitting in the dressing room and waiting for the name to be called and we knew there were five places and my name's T mm. so and With quite a bit along such a terrible process like they would go in, they would be interviewed, and they'd come back and they'd be in tears, you know. And oh, I was... I don't know how... I'm sure they don't do that now, but it was really
0: mean way to do it. And cold and, and not nurturing at all, is it? I mean, teachers have a very um, privileged position...
1: Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. ..to
0: nurture, to, yes. to encourage, yes. To, yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. to
0: get the best out of somebody. Yeah. That seems to go against
1: yeah.
0: all of that. Did you have good teachers... Through your you yeah, know, starting Yeah,
1: up. yeah, yeah. We had, um, I loved Jurgen Schneider, came from Germany or Russia. And, Oh, it was great when we got somebody, you know, different through energy. Um, I think Lou Set used to teach sometimes, but yeah, they were quite good. I did feel like I'd done all these exams and I passed his solo seal. It was really complex. Technique and movements, and you went back in the school, and it was like going back and standing in first position and pointing your foot. And I thought, why did I have to do all those exams, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and then also you get into the company and you think, oh, I can do all these movements. I've, you know, passed all those exams, and you're in the quarter ballet and you're just standing on your leg and you're standing in the line and you're lining up with everybody else and uh you're going what about that technique that I push my body so hard to you know achieve and uh yeah it just didn't seem you know I'd always said oh well dancing is the ultimate art form using your body it's your instrument it involves music design everything you know it's got to be the Ultimate, you know, even acting is not really using your body like that. So, so I was a little bit disappointed, and I would—I um, was doing always being creative, you know. I knitted jumpers with complex patterns, and I gave them to Jürgen Schneider. I gave one to, her. and then I would make cakes, and I became—I don't know why—my mother loved making cakes, so she would make the base, and I'd make these big cakes, which people do now but no one was doing them then and like we had two pigeons the ballet and i made the top of the chair with the two pigeons and um there was a priest who was a footballer and he ordered one and i had half of it it's a footballer and half of it as a <laughs> priest and and sir robert so sir robert helpman yeah, helpman. yeah. oh he was fabulous in yeah. the company i loved him he would wear these red tracksuits. with gold jewellery so they ordered me like they would ask me to make one for someone's birthday as a surprise I made this huge one of Bobby in his red tracksuit with his gold jewellery and he said to me oh darling darling if you um if you ever don't want to be a dad's so I'll set you up at a cake shop <laughs> and then they had that sweet art you know many yeah. years later yeah. but you know nothing like that was happening then so I was known as Cakey for a while because this English teacher, um, she was great. She came out and she had these T-shirts that were really snug. So I put snowballs in her cake with jelly beans, you know, <laughs> and made the T-shirt. Oh, I can't remember her name. What's the name? Quite a famous... Um, she used to call me Cakey. So, and then we got... I was there for two years. I had... Um, Sir Robert, Sir Robert and Peggy. And then Anne Williams arrives from Germany. Wow. I adored her. I just adored her. She came from Cranko, you know, and we'd done the John Cranko, Romeo and Juliet, Eugene Onyeg. And his ballet was, it just seemed, you know, more passionate, more real, and the choreography...
0: Well, she brings a different skill set, doesn't she? Yeah. And a different approach. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, and, you know, she had that German, like, discipline. But I just, I don't know, she was fabulous. And they didn't like her, the board didn't like her. Yeah. And um, we did a... She really wanted to encourage Australians um, to choreograph and she wanted, you know, to have a program of Australian choreographers. And one day she just said to me, you should be a choreographer. And... Honestly, I had no, you know, feeling to do that. Um, And she sort of made me go into this little um, program that was a homage to, a tribute to Peggy Von Prague And... She said, you know, you should choreograph. You, you go in. And you." So we were doing these choreographies on the side as well as being in everything. And, you know, it was always just a few hours here and there. And I did this piece called Bird Be- Birds Behind Bars, which was, I thought, quite feminist. And um, I had the Dark City Sisters from Soweto playing. I heard this great record... Um, I had guys on ropes, actually, swinging and people doing cha-cha and mambo and so It must have been really mad. Anyway, but they... Really
0: mad, but really inventive and, and unique. But no one had seen anything like
1: that, I imagine. I don't know. I mean, the audience loved it. Yeah. But, you know, they didn't put it into the repertoire. <laughs> but um, they um, gave me a $1,000. I won the um, Ballet Society Award. And it was a thousand dollars. So what am I going to do with that thousand dollars? And I said, Oh, I want to go to Europe, and I'm going to extend my holiday, and I'll go to Europe. And because I, I was starting to think, Oh, is that all there is? You know, is that what this ballet is? is that all there is? And I'd look at the principals, and they'd come in every day and do their exercises, and I think, Is is that what I want to do? You know. So I go to Europe for this extended holiday, and I and contacted Jacques Lecoq, school of mime. Anyway, I got this special, you know, permission to go to Jacques Lecoq, and I'm thinking, oh, yes, that's what I want to do. I want to go to Jacques Lecoq, live in a box and move against the wind. (laughs) And then someone said, you know, I was over there, oh, you should see Pinabout. You, you would love Pinabout. Who's that? Who's Pinabout? Where is she? Oh, what's that town? I can't remember. And then a second time, another person said, you should go and see Pinabout. So at the end, I had three more days. I make this effort to go to Wuppertal, see the work, and it was just mind-blowing. I mean, this was like God had just put me in the spot you know, it was a miracle, really. So, polystyrene mountains, girls in chiffon dresses, speaking English, crying, laughing, men with wings, and you know, I didn't understand a lot of what they were saying, but oh, just three and a half hours long. I just and I'd seen all this ballet everywhere, and I was thinking, oh, we're not too bad. The Australian ballets, not you know, we're mm. pretty good actually, because mm. nothing really blew my mind then I said Pina then I mean it was so weird there was another Australian Joanne Indie who was quite a big star in the company she said Pina's looking for a dancer and why don't you audition I said I can't I've just signed the Australian Ballet another contract. For, for another yeah. 12 months right. January to December she's looking for someone now and oh why don't you come anyway why don't you come and audition and I thought well that's a good experience you know, I couldn't say I went to Europe and I had this experience of auditioning and I always remember this, she was working with these actors um, doing Macbeth and just a few dancers and a handful of these guys like really intellectuals with their little glasses you know German, quite old you know, German actors so just sitting like that And I had to walk in this sort of um, factory studio and I had this coat, we had no winter clothes right, like it was snowing, Mm -hmm. I've never seen snow in my life. My mother gave me her South American skunk, (laughs) 40s cocktail coat, I still have it, it was big like Joan Crawford. Yeah, big shoulders. Yeah, striped Mm -hmm. like skunk. And... And I walk in, and I could see, you know, I remember that look, Pina just little smile, you know. Every. So she just let me join the rehearsal, and I had to improvise with them. And she would go schneller, 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 and I'm like, what does schneller mean? Oh, faster! So I just go so fast. And um, then I still had to audition, like at eight thirty. I still had to do a classical ballet class. I had to learn. Movements, and then I had to show her what I'd remembered from the night, the performance the night before. So I just remembered, like, everything, you know. And then she's reading the newspaper while I'm doing this class, and then um, we go in this little room, and she goes, OK, I'll take you. And I just said, oh I can't come (laughs) actually I can't come I've got a 12 month contract with the Australian Ballet and it was just like my whole you know exploded like my god you know is this true could I actually work here like it didn't really seem real so I go back to the Australian Ballet and I've got all these photographs and I decide I'll tell them I want to be a choreographer and I'll take a year a year's leave of absence and I was so lucky that it was Dame Peggy Von Bragg had come back she again encouraged choreographers so after three months three months they wouldn't like they kept saying no 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 and then three months they finally let me go.
0: Pina obviously wanted you she was happy to wait
1: It was very strange. They kept saying, until we see that contract, anyway, the contract doesn't arrive. And they say, we've sent the... You know, in those days, it was only...
0: Snail mail. I don't even think there
1: were faxes then. You know, it was...
0: Telegrams or...
1: Yeah, Yeah. she sent telegrams, actually, but they didn't believe that. So um, the day I finally left, I said, look, I'm just going. My mother, it arrived. By ship, it took three months, and there was the contract. Isn't that funny? And they had sent it. Mm. So that was interesting. And then, boom, you know, I'm joining Pina about
0: Pinch yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was, um,
0: How long w- were you with Pina?
1: Six years, and then she, after that, she kept inviting me back as a guest for another four years, and um, to do my original roles, and she would say all the time, well, "Oh, you know, now you, it's time to come back. Now. You know, what are you staying out there for in Australia? You know, now you've had a little break. You know, you're going to come back, and and I never did, and I don't know why because I came back to Australia and I had nothing. You know, mm-hmm. like we we did the Adelaide Festival with yep. Jim Sharman, so. I got a bit homesick, my mother was here and um, the weather and and I felt I have to do my own, you know, I, like everything I did I felt like I was giving her all this, like we were improvising and giving a lot of our own material but she would always use it in her her way and I felt like I wanted to use it differently, you know.
0: Well, there are those great practitioners, aren't they? Gurus, teachers, mm. whatever you want to call them, who impart their knowledge, and then it's up to the students to then go off and mm. create their mm. own mm. methods and styles. Mm. And
1: but Pina didn't like you choreographing. There was we were not encouraged right. to. We had to be there for her. You were her dolls. We were not allowed to have. She didn't like relationships. She didn't. You know, we were there like.
0: At her service.
1: 10 till 2.30, 6 till 10.30, six days a week. And sometimes on Sunday, a telephone call, you'd have to go in. and So if you didn't get the call, if you did get the call, you'd go, oh, my day off. you know. But if you didn't get the call, oh, so-and-so got the call and I didn't, you know. So it was just, you were just totally, she demanded total devotion.
0: Did her dancers get to know her? Uh, very much personally, or was it very much she was the... Uh,
1: so, some the of the some of them did. I mean, she had a few that she, when she was younger in America, that were there in the company. No, I don't think you ever really... She remained distant. No, yeah. I think so, yeah. yeah. But then you, in the work, you felt very close, you know, and you were giving her quite, you know... Deep. It depends how much you want to give it, you know. But you know, it was. You felt like it was an intimate relationship because you were telling her so much about your life and offering and giving it to her to do what she wanted to do with it, you know. But after a while, it felt like you know.
0: It, it feel intrusive.
1: Well, I just felt I'm doing all this creating so much, and you know. It's not really how I intended that to be, you know. I just, I did a film with a, a director there and she called it Sydney on the Whoopa, which is like Sydney on the River Whooper, And she couldn't understand how someone from Australia who was so used to colour and bright, you know, vivid colours be living in Whoopperdale. And it was a quite a arty film, but... We won the best short film at the Berlin Film Festival. And um, I think that was a, just a, like, oh, you know, maybe I could just do my own work. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. it just gave me a sort of um, that confidence, confidence yeah. to go and do something. Because yeah, you didn't really get much time to think, you know. And we worked so hard, like we would rehearse. And, and I must say, when I joined, she did new Pina did two... New creations every year, and I loved doing that. But she had a baby, and then it started to be one creation every year, you know. And I just didn't want to do the old stuff. I mean, I don't mind doing the old stuff, but I did want to, you know, do build, new things. New yeah, yeah. So I felt like one wasn't really enough, you know.
0: What was her rehearsal room
1: like? We were in a a sex Kino, an old, it used to be a porno film, quite Oh, of course, yucky. Sex
0: Kino, yeah. Yep. Sex.
1: <laughs> quite yucky. It had padded walls with, like, pins on it, and you could still see the screen, and it was that khaki green. Yeah. And so when you walked there, you still had some funny old men at Residue. the door, and they were knocking to see <laughs> if the movies were still on, you know. So it wasn't a very nice entrance to the building and we had McDonald's around the corner and in our break at night we were starving. Like you worked from six till at least ten thirty. We had to have a break. We would just go to McDonald's and eat hamburgers. That was what we ate. Or we'd wait till eleven o'clock and eat at the Yugoslavian. So you either had dinner at eleven at the Yugoslavian Or you had a hamburger at 8 o'clock in your 15-minute break. For
0: six years.
1: And that smell, that smell of McDonald's, I can still smell it in that studio. And people would smoke. They'd all smoke. Penis smoked. And I started to get, like, a chronic bronchitis. And I really felt the smoking was really bad, you know. Right
0: throughout the rehearsal studio, yeah, right shocking. The yeah.
1: studio, yeah. And then everyone wanted to be like peanuts, so they all started smoking. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that that was not good. Yeah, that was another reason actually. And I did a lot of—I used to write all these big monologues, so I did a lot of speaking. But we had no vocal training, and you know, the cigarette. Smoke was so bad for me, you know. It's all right if you were just dancing, but.
0: Are you speaking in English or I German? I did.
1: Because no. I would just rattle off and do like blah blah blah, blah And um, I couldn't have done that. I did a little things in German, but
0: you know. Did you learn much of the language in that six years?
1: I started to at the beginning, and then we. We always rehearsed in English because there were so many different nationalities and we toured all the time. So, you know, Pina started speaking English, rehearsals were in English, it, that was the, you know, the language. The common language. Yeah. Yeah, yeah of course, and, she,
0: would, she would draw on dancers from around the world.
1: Yeah. yeah. And then you were hardly outside, you know, much. So, yeah, so, yeah, that was a shame, actually, I think. A German should be much better, but we didn't hang out much in the street you know, <laughs> to talk to the locals
0: <laughs> so returning to Australia what what instigated that did you just summon enough enough courage to uh, well, to make the break or? the
1: Adelaide festival there was all these people saying come back home come back home oh your skin is green oh you look terrible oh you've got to come home you've got to... and I was really pale you know so and I don't know. I know Richard Perrin was on that board. Um, there were a few people in the Australia Council that were saying to me, oh, you should apply for a grant. You should do, you know, you could get a grant, you know. So I got fifteen. 000. I did apply for a grant with all their help, thinking I'd never get it. I got $15,000 to do a whole show. Um, but the strange thing was that's how I met Rajiv because he was the photographer for that piece and it was so strange after working with Pina for like three months at least it would take, no one knew what the piece was about, no, she wouldn't even have a title on opening night it would be piece by Pina Bausch," and it would take a while for the name so I get to Australia what's the name, what's it about blah blah blah, you've got to do the publicity I said I haven't even gone in a rehearsal room yet, no So here we were in this photo session and I had a a stripper from the cross who was going to be a mermaid because I was living near Bondi, I think, and there was that mermaid on the rock Mm. and I felt like very Australian and I wanted to do all these and I remembered all these stories with my sisters growing up. So I called it Echo Point because three sisters... And I had to have a title. And it it was sort of memories of, you know, growing up, I guess. And, um, yeah, but then I I met Regis, who was French, and it was so great to... Because suddenly I'm missing Europe, you know. Can't... Nowhere is paradise. So I meet this French, lovely Frenchman, and we fall in love and... We've been together since 1984, (laughs) so...
0: And a wonderful personal and professional relationship. Yeah,
1: yeah, so funny. And then we did that little show in Bay Street Theatre in, um, you know, Chippendale or... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nice little theatre. It was like an old church. And we had sand... I don't know if we we had a barbecue. I had a barbecue on stage. I had a waterfall... Amazing, all the things you can do for fifteen thousand dollars in
0: those days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, going into a rehearsal room when you're creating a work, do you have much of an idea of what you want to achieve, or are you looking for the inspiration when you're you're in there with your dancers? And
1: um, it depends. Every everything's slightly different. Every piece is slightly different. I know, you know. I was here for a while and then I got the company in Canberra and suddenly being in Canberra was a bit like Europe. There were the Four Seasons and I got really inspired by nature, I think, and the land and the climate and... um. um so, you know, you might see a photograph. I don't know, something just sparks an idea and then more things, you know, come in and you see another image and you say, oh, you know, I like that. And so sometimes I really... I know the feeling I want, mostly, but I I never go in and go copy me and do this. Well,
0: perhaps let's, let's talk about a few pieces of work and, mm. and, and yeah, how they all bit, evolved. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, Kikimora.
1: Oh, Kikimora.
0: Which, I, 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 you know, I've been going down the rabbit hole of YouTube yeah, and yeah, finding yeah, all yeah, sorts yeah, of clips yeah, yeah. of yeah. fabulous I don't work. have much on, yeah. Yeah, but, but still, that, that powerful image of those dancers being dolls.
1: I loved that little piece. Like, I, I saw make I saw a photo that big of a woman and now you can go online and you will see her but she was in this makeup with split black and white and apparently it was Mikhail Larinov. I- it was that big and I just loved it and I said, Oh you know I could be that character. I love that black and white makeup. So Regis we took some photos like that and her teeth are like painted on and her eyes are crossed and she's got a big comb and then I found that Kikimora. It was called Kikimora, but I couldn't find any information on the piece. Then I look up Kikimora and I find out that they're Russian witches and they're, they cause havoc when you're out of the house, you know. And I thought, oh, it's like dolls. You know, when you were a kid, you had a doll. I used to love dolls. Um, you know, that they do all these things when out of the, and you come back like- and the... You know, something's moved and you think, yes. oh, what are those dolls? Well, it's that
0: wonderful conceit of Toy Story, the, uh, yeah. the animated film. Yeah, The, the yeah. toys get up to mischief and go yeah
1: So I then got into toys and I had that beautiful book, a German, really old book of old toys. And I saw these little dolls and I, you know, got inspired by all the costumes. And then I started playing with the women. And I had only women at that stage. And we started... Seeing how you could, you know, make the body, um, change the body, you know, just by bending your knees. They look about that eye, and they come out of the wall, and and I love that whole black and white thing. And then Regis, so all these things are collecting, you know, and joining up. And Regis had photographed his house, the Curiosity Shop. Do you know the Curiosity Shop? Well, I don't know if he was a postman or. Um, this guy had collected broken dolls so on his journey every day he would make put the dolls into their house and it's this beautiful little house made of broken dolls wow and that's a book that regis should really publish he photographs these dolls with the cracks you know and Great I said, images. oh my god yeah. that's yeah. that's these dolls and it's kicky and it's you know and it's the The German toy book, and so I just played, and then I found all this great Hungarian, ancient Hungarian music that sounded like you know, wind up toys really. So it all just came. I'm glad you asked me about that piece because not many people know that work, and I really liked it. So all the girls were, yeah play these little dolls and then when i went to adelaide i had men and i said okay you're just going to dress up in a dress and be a doll too and they laughed at me had little pom-poms on their heads and and they all wore little white tights so he made them all white so the projections were projected so he used those dolls from the curiosity shop as a set on the wall but also on their faces you know
0: sourcing and finding the music that you want to choreograph to must be a big deal as well. Do you you ever get the chance to work with composers and create original scores?
1: Yeah, a couple of times, but we never had money, you know. We had very little funding in um, Canberra and then even in Adelaide because I gave all the dancers full-time contracts. I didn't want to have them, you know, but I think they deserved to be given that security. So that took a lot of money you know i guess if i would just done a project and a project like they do now but i don't like you know i don't think that's fair you know you're going to commit to a dance so they've got mm. to have a 12 months contract mm. um so we didn't have much money and then so we i worked with mara keek because i wanted her to teach us some vocal training you know and then she started teaching us Bulgarian songs to get our voices out. So I said, oh, let's do a piece with all these songs. So four-part harmony, no one had ever sung before. We did the whole piece, songs with Mara. We had little pools of earth and water. I've, no, the stage was earth, and each dancer had a little pool of water. And we let them... And I got really inspired by all the Bulgarian women and the tradition and... So to get the vocab, I tried to make a different vocabulary for every piece. So with Songs with Mara, I thought all these women would have been embroidering tablecloths, so I made these steps out of, you know, buttonhole stitch, herringbone, chain stitch, and um, with Kiki, it was like, what would dolls do? They'd be protecting the ants from the light. So we made little movements like that, so every movement. Every piece has you know
0: a reason for being.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's just for that piece, you know. So I you know, I try not to do the same steps, which is really hard.
0: songs of Mara too, having a look at that, that extraordinary image of the women leaning back with their long hair, wetting it and then whipping it forward. Yeah, Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was lovely working with Mara. So we worked with Marek and Luke Keek. We worked with Colin Offord way back when we did an Egyptian piece for the gallery, the National Gallery. Is that
0: Nuti? Yeah, Yeah. and
1: he made his own instruments and he was on the stage. And um, uh, that was a great collaboration too. They had an exhibition of ancient treasures from the British Museum and they brought out all these, you know... um, um, coffins, you
0: know um, artefacts Yeah. Um,
1: so, you know, it's an odd theme, I thought, how do I do an Egyptian piece, but it was really beautiful, it was like going in a cave and Regis front projected and just the only light source was his projections on the white bodies
0: and those dancers looking like moving hieroglyphics, they did, yeah. they did yeah, it was beautiful. and do you
1: know, I just remounted that for the VCA right in the middle of COVID or at the beginning of COVID. Actually I just worked with them two days. We were on the flight, the the car race was had just brought COVID the Grand Prix had just brought COVID to Melbourne and we were going out and that was it, it was all over. And you know those kids, they rehearsed that in their bedrooms. When they came together in the end, they had white masks. It's such an exhausting piece. They did that. I don't know how they did it. They were just extraordinary, really. They all were all on their own in their rooms learning that piece with one of my dancers, and it was amazing. And I said, I said you can't do this. It's not going to work. And the director just insisted, and she ended up doing a showing. They had their masks, and they did it. Amazing. So there was that, oh, and then Balinescu, that was great because when I got to Adelaide, you know, I'd heard about this Barossa Music Festival and I said, oh, we're going to be in it, right? And um, they said, oh, ADT's never done that. But So we began this great collaboration with John Russell and we worked with Andrew Dalton, um, you know, of tenor and he had his quartet and we were in the... The wine sheds you see with all these amazing facts, so yeah, the smell and Richie did the projections. So we did that piece, we did songs with Mara, we did um The Andrew Dalton you No know, Let Me Weep and then um Ballinescu. I had been playing Alex Balonescu's music and I'd been working with ropes, you know, and I said, Oh this CD is so great, Possessed. Wouldn't it be great, John, if you could get the balanescu He got them. They came out. They wow. played live. We put them on the top of these silver tanks, like where all the wine is being fermented. Yeah. And they were up there, and the dancers were just flying around like crazy. And Peter Lehman, it was Peter Lehman's winery he would be after the rehearsal or after the show he'd be going down in this cellar and pulling out his best red and giving it to alex and (laughs) we're going (laughs) but it was such a great time that was just and we'd have lunch out in the vineyard you know and uh, someone came we paid them ten dollars each and they cooked uh, i don't know they had a pig on a you know spit and And Alex Bell and Estu, they arrived from London, they just said, this is paradise, Mm -hmm. paradise. So that was an amazing experience, actually, doing Barossa.
0: How difficult is it to to merge um, projections and and the live dance? Does it take a lot of work?
1: No, like the first one we did was Nuti. And I had seen these portraits that Regis had done and he projected a painting of a woman like a famous painting onto a woman's face. And then we did a whole series, he put them on my face and I'd sort of become that character. And what came out was such a different, um, you know, image or character from the original painting. So I said to him, why can't you do that on stage? Like, you've got to be he's a bit shy and I was like come on come on you know let's see what we can do let's just have front projections so we invested in these slide projectors which was a big deal but it ended up being really efficient because you didn't need a lighting designer to come in and you saved all that time you set the projectors up you knew where they were so it was you know quite economical in the end. so so that was newty, and I'm going. Oh yeah, we're going to do this and this, and I got all these sequences, and they were quite fast. And then Regis puts the projector on, and it was just crazy. There was too many lines, so we both had to pull back. You know, I said you've got to give me something simpler. I've got to go slower you know so we learnt but it's only because he was in there every day and you know and he was really following and he really knows the work and the, the spirit of the work you know and he's really you know lucky in the work we really get on like he does let me have the last say you know but you know he'll bring something that I didn't expect and push me in another direction too you know
0: that's what you want from a collaborator. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So it's a really good collaboration, I think, you know. Yeah. You mentioned um, um,
0: working with ropes, uh, Furioso, mm. uh, a lot of ropes and swing, and mm. <laughs> you yeah, had your dancers flying almost.
1: Well, we'd been in that little tiny studio in Gorman House, and, um, you know, we had this French ambassador, Philippe Baud. He just loved the company. Canberra was lovely because we met all these diplomats and I really enjoyed our time in Canberra. So Philip and I did the doll piece, so we're all enclosed. Everything's enclosed. The women are, you know, the hair, the cave, nuty And then we got this ballroom with this high roof and I remember Philip said something to me like, you have to go out you have to push you know and and he just gave me this feeling that oh yeah you know I've got to go for it now I've got five men and women and the energy was so different with the men you know in the room because the women you can be really really detailed but the guys were just you know I don't know more simple and it was about strength and energy and jumping and so I thought, oh, we could do the whole piece on the back wall. So I wanted a rope to see if we could hang the dancers there, but we couldn't hang a rope. The technical crew put the rope in the middle of their studio, and I said, oh, that's not going to work. No you know, like We've got no resistance on anything. So, OK, we'll give it a go. And then we got harnesses, which I never worked with a harness. And I worked with a couple of very tall dancer, Grace and, and Mia, a short, um, very strong dancer from New Zealand. And I worked with them, which was unusual, actually, because usually I've got everybody in the room. But I just felt we needed to work out if we could really create something. And it seemed, you know, like it's not possible. It's just hanging, blah, blah, blah. You know, how do you grab this... And then suddenly, you know, they do something and I said, oh, that's amazing. I've got a video because no one could remember what they did. It was so fast, you know. Mia would just go flying up in the air and he would grab her and, and just the different ways, you know, he would embrace her. And Regis actually got me onto Cronos Quartet and there was that fabulous um, CD, Quasi you know Fantasia and um, Goretzky. and again I had never really used one piece of music like I'd always um, taken different tracks or even different you know styles of music and this one CD all the way through was amazing and so we were working on these movements and it was getting really exciting and then we Had to give them names because we'd never we didn't know what this movement was, so we'd call it tidal wave or cyclone, or um, you know, it was always some natural.
0: Well, (laughs) developing a new vocabulary. Yeah, yeah. and
1: and I always said, you know, we could just do this for the rest of our lives and become this company that, but you know, it would be boring. So, um, but then a lot of people did after they did start working on ropes and that was 93 when we did that and I had never seen anybody do that but before, like dancers, you know and we were asking, I got a circus person in to help but they said, oh, we don't move like that really it's quite different, you know, what you're doing so we just had to work it out ourselves and then uh, we brought the other dancers in and, you know, they would get a bit sick like the spinning and so we'd take it easy and we'd say, you know, just take it. Because Mia was spinning around, spinning around, and she loved it. And then the other girls would come in. So take it easy, take it easy. And then after a while, it became like a drug. Like they just, they were so, they, it was like a drug, like a little girl that spins and spins, you know. Yep. And they wouldn't get off. And I'd say, come on, you gotta, <laughs> we got to stop now, we've got to stop. Um, So they loved it. The girls loved it. They loved just being, you know, that freedom. And it's funny because we went to America and we had to talk. We did a big tour and we had to talk after. And they were all like gender politics. And, oh, the women are tied up. And we said, God, we never ever felt like that they felt so free you know they felt like they were flying and they could never feel like that and the the men were saying oh, we usually lift these girls and they're so heavy but you know it was amazing so that was really interesting and then with possessed when I did possess because we all loved the ropes I said let's not have them on the harness let's put them on the hand or the foot so that was actually a completely different technique there were no harnesses yeah
0: that work would uh, give you the perfect skill set to choreograph the Broadway musical Tarzan, I imagine.
1: Yeah. Are you? Are you
0: working with a lot of
1: yeah.
0: vines <laughs> yeah. in that show? Yeah. Tell,
1: they all, yeah. Tell they, me
0: about Tarzan.
1: Oh, Tarzan was such a long, long process. Um, I had done that musical with um, Andrew Lloyd Webber about the football and... The beautiful game. And I had to... Craig for a football match that was my audition and uh I don't know that much about football but I managed to do it in two weeks and um then I was nominated for an Olivia award for that even though most of my choreography didn't end up being in the piece it was just a little bit and um out of that I was then asked to do Tarzan and I must say I said oh I'm not sure that's really me you know but my English agent insisted that I do that and it took years it took years they took us to Las Vegas three times I think to look at the big shows um
0: the Cirque du Soleil or yeah
1: Oh, and uh, whatever they were. And, you know, it was incredible. It's like another another world. We even spent time in L.A. working with acrobats. We spent time in Buenos Aires working with acrobats because Pichon Dinou he was there as the expert on the flying, you know. So even though I had done all that work with the flying, he was sort of the boss of the flying, So, um, anyway, I just found the process extremely long, you know, and it just made me think, gosh, you know, we used to get these shows together in, you know, 10 weeks maybe. But it went on and on and on. And when you're a choreographer, you don't have, in a musical, you just don't have that control. So you're not the director. So time is often spent on other things and you're not the priority and it's a little bit frustrating
0: the freedom of the ropes and, and the flying uh is in great contrast to something like rite of spring where mm, you're really where you're digging into the yeah, earth yeah, yeah yeah that i imagine would be very hard on the body
1: Pina's rite of spring yeah, yeah yeah that well when i joined the company my neck i we had to do that movement where you you know just and repeat it and repeat and repeat and I remember I thought I would never walk again that my neck was so sore but it also made me feel that I was using my whole body and I thought all those years with the ballet I'd never used my back yeah. you know yeah. I'd never gone forward, I'd never gone back I'd never circled so you know that was quite liberating to, to use your whole spine like that but um yeah, it was um, painful. Yeah, hard, hard piece to do, but wonderful. Yeah. You know. Exhilarating.
0: Who was Olga Spivitskava?
1: Spivitskava. Spitsitska,
0: right. Yeah, okay.
1: very unusual spelling. But um, I read a book when I was in the ballet school. Someone gave me a book I called The Sleeping Ballerina. She had come out to Australia in the 30s.
0: The Belarus, or
1: no? It was a sort of offshoot of Belarus, actually. But the dances of the Belarus. Then, she was to perform in Sydney, and Melbourne, and Brisbane, I think. And following a couple of shows at the in Sydney. She was found wandering. They say on a dirt road just wondering, a driver picked her up and he actually recognized her uh, because he had seen her in the performance and they were her first signs of a mental breakdown and you know you always thought that stress you know of coming from you when she was really fanatical about her technique like you miss a day as a ballet dancer and you just freak out you know so and they didn't we didn't have pilates they didn't have pilates and all those other things that you know
0: maintain the body yeah Yeah.
1: and they're really efficient you know using the muscles efficiently so she cracked up she kept dancing for a while but she cancelled the rest of the australian season her performances and ended up 23 years in a sanatorium in Poughkeepsie. And this Poughkeepsie, it's just outside of New York. And I remember actually years, years later, going past that train station. So this Russian ballerina is locked up for 23 years. And Anton Dolan tried to get her out because she was just obsessed with dance, you know. And it just Became really obsessive with it. She's not really, you know, she didn't have to be locked
0: up. Mm. You know, what happened to her when she came out when she was released?
1: In oh, she went to this. He fought and fought and fought, and fought to get her out, and I think she ended up in this. It's called the Tolstoy Foundation or something—a home, you know, for artists. And and she was making dolls. Isn't that funny? She was wow. making. I saw a documentary or photo with her was he's sewing his dolls but um there is a little and there was a clip of her doing the mad scene that was taken in 1931 or something before she came to Adelaide and it was black and white and she had her hair out and her feet turned in and it was so avant-garde for those days you know and she was the Giselle like everybody but they say that the role, you know, she started to become Giselle and went mad. Mm. Yeah, so that really struck me, you know, this... So much so
0: to create a work Mm. which um, leans on that story.
1: Yeah, I got another grant. Um, It was Anthony Steele was doing the Brisbane... What's it called? The Expo. And he was doing the theatre... Program, and he asked me, You know, what would you like to do? And I'd, I'd read all these stories about these women Annette Kellerman, Lola Montez and I thought, Oh, you know, I could do this, these women dancing, and the reality of that, you know, as it came down, I was like, mm. And I'd just done a TV series, and Jane Campion was one of the directors, Dancing Days, and Jen Chapman was the producer, and that was great. And I was just about to go into rehearsal for whatever this one-woman show was for the Brisbane Expo. And I do remember Jane saying to me, I said, oh, I think I want to concentrate on this Russian ballerina. And Jane said, but use your own stories. You've got your own stories, you know, that are just as crazy and mad. So I started to think about the girls in the ballet school how they would starve themselves or how they would make us eat chocolate cake and they just look at us or lick the spoon or and you know it was quite crazy actually and um obsessive and there was that madness. and then I I had teachers who were really really strict and they did like torture us in class (laughs) so i thought i'm gonna get back at all those teachers you know so i did this torture bar and um i yeah and then i thought well maybe i could you know play the australian contemporary dancer and the russian ballerina
0: Toad. Who was it? Mimsy. was
1: it Memzi? what they uh, yeah. used to the call me name. when I was a baby, right. yeah, when I was a little in Darwin, but um, yeah, insane mad, I don't know how and I think, I remember Jane, actually I don't know how they came about but after the TV series she said oh, just, you know, do a bit of work with you and it was at the Bondi Public School we had a room and she you know, she was going, oh, and what about that scene? And she was in that very filmic way, quite different. So I was doing these scenes that was so fast, you know, just going snap, 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 if you're editing a film. But I was a real-life person who had to change the <laughs> costume. Anyway, I um, that was, we just had a couple of sessions, but it put me in a sort of style that I probably wouldn't have, um, you know gone but I can remember poor Regis I had no assistant I just had poor Regis sitting there we were rehearsing in that church where the what do they call it the wall where there's a lot of drugs going on there's a lot of needles in that church in in Darlinghurst Yeah, yeah yeah and um I'm in this little church rehearsing this piece on my own, no dramaturg, no assistant. And poor, she's going, come on, come on, I'm going, I can't, I can't, I can't. I was crying, crying, and I, I hated looking at myself, like I hated just that attention on myself. It was just like boring, you know. Anyway, we ended up, you know, I did that piece. I don't know how. Two feet. Yeah. yeah and we did it for the expo, and at that stage, they hadn't worked out how to keep the water on stage. Uh, you know it it water comes across the stage towards the end. it's about you know, know how close that. and now it's really easy. You just put a pool liner under the, but the water was just going everywhere. Now, I thought I was going to die that well, night. it could be
0: dangerous too. yeah
1: I had to get dressed and I saw the electric cables and my feet were going into the tights and I just thought, I'm going to die. I'm going to die tonight. Oh, yes. Not from and falling, but from electrocution. dramatic, <laughs> I'm going to die. So that was quite scary, actually.
0: Costume would be pretty important, I imagine, with the work that you create. Yeah, You'll and You work had a, quite closely with the designers.
1: Yeah, I had a beautiful um, friend, Diane Bridson, and uh, she... You know, replicated those costumes and made new ones from Epsi, and Anthony Phillips um, cut them. So they're beautifully cut, they were really beautifully made. You know.
0: What do you like on opening nights?
1: Um, just focused and quiet and. Um,
0: you enjoy opening nights i mean that's the yes
1: uh, yeah you do you do that's when everyone but gets to see the work scary i mean when i you know it was scary being the director i felt much more scared being in that i always had the headset i had to have a headset i said i have to be able to because you know i had to be able to say louder you know <laughs> or softer because i never trusted them to have the levels right and um that would really annoy the technicians. I, I don't do that anymore, but at the beginning I did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Were you good at handing it over to the company after opening night? or would you? Oh, no, you'd keep
1: working you'd on keep it. You'd keep working on yeah, it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd just keep working on it. Like, there's always notes and always um, improving things. Yeah. Not not radical things, but just, you know, sharpening it. Because, you know... In Australia, you never got that time with lighting. That's a real shame. Like in Europe, you get pennies to have three weeks on stage, lighting, set, you know, wow. something like that. And of course, we had th- two nights if you were like his. So that's always a shame, you know. Like you see Robert Wilson, the lighting, because mm. he'd be there for months yeah. doing that, you know, lighting <laughs> a finger. Yeah. yeah. So we just. not able to create like that here which is a shame really because lighting is important you know and it should be like a performer you know we should be treating that with that respect i think it must be awfully hard for lighting designers Mm -hmm. in australia
0: do you read reviews
1: yeah yeah Um, and you do you always remember the bad ones
0: have you had many bad ones? Then? Oh
1: yes, Jill Sykes. The last I did that piece for Sydney Dance Company and the title was So you think you can choreograph. Oh. And I think that really hit me and I just thought right why am I doing this? I read a someone, I should try and find that, a writer went and sat in with a choreographer one day and they said, how do you do this? You go in that room and you've got all those faces like when you're writing a book, it's bad enough but you've got all these personalities you know
0: They are your tools It's so hard, yeah, but
1: they have all feelings and you know there's always some jealousy within the group or Competition, or yeah, so you've really got to deal with all of that, you know. And very hard going into a company that's used to one choreographer, I think, you know, because they think that's like we thought peanut butter is the only way, you know, when we were there. When I was in the ballet, everything else was rubbish. She had to be a ballet dancer. It's, you know, it's like a sect, it's like a religion. It is like a religion. Being a dancer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you are, you know, there for that choreographer or that style of work or that religion, you know, because you're dedicating yourself so much to that, um, yeah. So now I I look back at, you know, the times when I was in the ballet and, you know, we got into the ballet company and we just thought we were fabulous, you know. And I, over those three years, I started to realise, oh... There's something else out there, you know, but I think because you work so hard, you actually don't. Well, in those days, you didn't see that much, you know, like we didn't have videos and things like everyone has now, mm-hmm. you
0: know. What's the um, aging as a dancer? Must be, must be tough.
1: Yeah, I don't know because I think, you know, because I worked with Pina, there we didn't talk about age and everyone can dance and you know someone can stand there and do the most amazing hand movements or
0: the movements might be limited or yeah, slower or we don't but have still to jump
1: or, you know like you just dance you you create for whoever that person is and if they're sitting down it's fine or they're you know I've never felt that um, oh, I'm so old now I'm exhausted but you know maybe I'm not dancing but I mean I look at the company you know, and some of them have been there 40 years and they're actually still doing the same piece you know but um yeah i don't know i, I guess if you're a ballet dancer it's yeah of course it's really have fun. you got more dance than you um me um depends what you call dance <laughs> yeah i would i would love someone to come and work with me you know and do something yeah with me performing i doesn't have to be really dancing, but um, yeah, that would be a nice change. That would be a real treat. Yeah, that would be a nice change. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I don't I don't need it. It's not like when I gave up dancing. I didn't go, Oh, I, I have to be on that stage. I'm very happy to, you know, get things I love watching those dancers, challenging them and, and seeing them break through, you know, like doing things they never thought they could do, like when I had the company, we did tap dancing in Aurora and um, no one had tap danced before and we, we did singing, you know, and no one, well, they flew and I thought every piece Or we wrote was silhouettes which is another really tricky, you know, um, technique to learn so I loved challenging them, you know and I, I just like seeing them grow and... Discover these talents. Like we discovered singers' beautiful voices, you know, in Songs with Mara. People didn't know that they could sing. So, um, you know, that's what I like doing. So that gives me a lot back. I don't have to do it myself. You know. <laughs>
0: Well, Meryl Tankard, this conversation's been a few months in the, in the planning. I'm so <laughs> glad that we got there. Um, thank you for a, a, a delicious hour of chat about thank dance. And, and thank you for all that you've given the world uh, as far as dance goes.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It was fun.
0: <laughs> what a joy it was to have that audience with Meryl Tankard. Her body of work as a performer and choreographer-director is extensive and hopefully you gain some insight into the creation of that work. Merrill wanted to also acknowledge her stellar collaboration with composer Elena Katzachernan on Wild Swans, a full-length ballet for the Australian Ballet. I encourage you to see what you can find online. I managed to find snippets of Merrill's various work on YouTube, etc. You'll see exactly what we've been talking about. If you've seen Meryl Tankard on stage, lucky you. Thanks, Meryl, my guest today on The Stages podcast. Don't forget that the podcast will be presented live as part of the 2022 Vivid Festival in Sydney. Check out the Vivid website for ticketing. It's all free, but you do have to register. I'm Peter Eyes, Keep well, keep warm, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time.